for the energy transition. It is actually the core of the energy transition and, and the benefits of having in place such infrastructure do not just apply in the two interconnected countries, but really on a much wider area. Welcome to today's Jolt. It's the 23rd of January. I'm Sam Morgan, your host. Stay tuned later in this episode for a look at why a new undersea power cable between Denmark and the United Kingdom is a massive deal for Europe's energy transition. First, let's take a look at what has been happening in the world of energy and climate. China's voluntary carbon credit market is back after a hiatus of six years. Suspended in 2017 because of a lack of interest, the market began trading again yesterday. Any Chinese business can buy credits to offset their emissions under this mechanism, not just firms covered by the mandatory national carbon market, Chinese policymakers have brought back the market in order to make more progress towards peaking emissions by 2030 and neutralising them by 2060. The full emissions trading system is due to expand this year to cover aluminium and cement production, as China tries to shield its exports from extra tariffs that will be imposed by carbon border taxes around the world. The US government has announced that more than $200 million will be invested in clean energy and fertilizer production projects. Funded mostly by the Inflation Reduction Act, the projects include a solar-powered wastewater facility and a fertilizer plant that will produce clean power. The money will benefit projects in 42 states. New York City's sea levels could rise 30 centimeters in the 2030s. A top climate panel's new report says America's biggest city is getting hotter and rainier, with precipitation levels predicted to increase 10%. That's a major problem for the Big Apple, as sea levels have already risen by that much since the 1900s, higher than the global average. The panel's findings will form the basis of a much more in-depth report due to be submitted to city leaders in April. The UK government has pledged £1.3 billion in additional funding to develop a new nuclear power plant. Sizewell C is still very much in the planning stage, but the government hopes that the extra state support will attract billions more in needed investment. French firm EDF is the main developer after the government bought out a Chinese company that was also involved in the project last year. It cited strategic concerns. Sizewell would be the UK's second next-generation nuclear plant after Hinkley Point, which is currently under construction. That particular atom smasher is meant to be online in 2027, but is facing massive delays and cost overruns. Romania's energy ministry has announced 815 million euros in grants for renewable power projects. The public calls will go live on the 1st of March and will cover 2 gigawatts of clean energy capacity. The government is also planning two auctions to cover solar and wind power in 2024 and 2025, using contracts for difference worth up to 3 billion euros. Romania is funding these new programmes with billions of euros made available by the EU's Recovery and Resilience Facility, a joint borrowing scheme launched during the COVID-19 pandemic. Germany's heat pump market grew more than 50% in 2023, according to new data. More than 350,000 units were sold, helping households and businesses cut their reliance on fossil gas. However, the good times may already be over, 
as a decline in sales actually began in June last year. In December, sales plummeted 40% as uncertainty over policies and subsidy schemes turned people off the often expensive appliances. Germany's Federal Heat Pump Association has urged the government to intervene immediately. Argentina's new far-right president has shelved plans to privatise the country's state-run oil company. Javier Malay insisted during his successful presidential campaign that he would sell off YPF, but that is now on the back burner after it was removed from a package of reforms the president is trying to get passed by Congress. Plans to streamline the state-run nuclear firm have also been watered down. Malay needs a two-thirds majority in Congress to back privatisation, an unlikely prospect in the divided chamber. YPF was nationalised way back in 2012, and a recent court case ruled in favour of its investors, who alleged Argentina's government at the time botched the buyout. An appeal is ongoing. And Italy more than doubled its new green power capacity in 2023. Nearly 6 gigawatts was added to the grid after just 2.7 came online in 2022. Grid operator Terna also revealed that renewables covered nearly 37% of electricity demand, up from 31% in 2022. Gas, coal and total power consumption all fell, marking significant progress for Italy towards its 2030 target of sourcing two-thirds of power from clean energy. Tune in to The Jolt tomorrow, when I will be looking at how Italy is doing on electric car rollout. It's a less positive story, and I'll tell you why in the episode. That's it for your news updates today. Now, let's get into the story of the moment. Energy markets need to become more interconnected so green electrons can flow across borders to where they're needed. The ultimate ambitious goal of a region like Europe is that power demand in, say, Finland can be satisfied by zero-carbon energy produced in Portugal. Countries are making progress on tethering each other together with high-voltage cables, and at the end of 2023, the longest undersea link in the world, running between Denmark and the United Kingdom, was switched on. Let's look at what this means for the energy transition. The Viking Link runs 765 kilometres under the sea and overland point-to-point, and has a mighty capacity of 1.4 gigawatts. It opens up new markets for Danish and British power, and has been hailed as a big step forward for the energy systems of both countries. I spoke with Matt Hinder, the head of EU affairs at the UK's National Grid, about the project. We're enormously pleased with it as a project. It's part of the cutting edge of the energy transition and electricity interconnection, actually. So in terms of the benefit, as we see more and more variable generation renewables being put into the respective uh, UK, Danish, Belgian, Netherlands energy systems, the need to be able to transfer electricity to where it's needed uh, from where it's produced just increases. And uh, subsidy interconnection uh, is a key part of that. National Grid Ventures, part of National Grid Group, but our kind of uh, non-regulated business has been building these interconnectors now for 30 years, in fact. Um, we started off with Interconnection France-Angleterre, IFA, back in the 80s. And in recent years, we've built connections to Belgium, the Netherlands, France, Norway, and now Denmark. And the more renewable generation we put into the system, the more flexibility we need in the system. When Viking was switched on at the end of 2023, I actually noticed a couple of comments online that suggested the project is flawed. 
because it connects two countries that get a lot of power from the same resource, offshore wind. I put those concerns to Matt. I mean, the wind is blowing to an extent at the same time, but also, you know, the North Sea is quite a big, big space as well, so it does vary. Interconnection, particularly between the UK and the continent, is fantastic in this terms. Uh, not least for one really simple reason. Obviously, renewable generation depends on weather systems, but it also depends on time. So the hour difference between the European continent and GB makes a real difference. So actually, you know, when it's a peak demand in Denmark, for example, uh, we're an hour behind in the UK. So actually you can shift that demand. And what interconnection fundamentally does, it enables us to move power where it's cheap and abundant to where it's less abundant and more expensive. I mean, just in terms of like the future of connectors, that interconnectors, is that job done in that case with Viking being online or is there still work to do to, to build more interconnectors to, and to branch out further? Absolutely not job done. So Viking is a point-to-point interconnector, just directly connects the, um, the Danish and the UK electricity markets. And point-to-point interconnectors have a really important role. I think we've got 7.8 gigawatts of them now in National Grid Ventures. And they, they do a really important job in terms of balancing the grid, delivering energy security and reducing prices. But as we build out more and more generation, we're moving into a new kind of vision of the North Sea, which really requires much more coordinated infrastructure. So one of the things we're working on at the moment is offshore hybrid assets, as we call them, projects that link interconnectors indirectly into wind farms or into energy islands in the sea, which reduce the amount of infrastructure we need, reduce the amount of landing points and enable us to really, well, hopefully to deliver electrons to where they're needed in the most efficient way possible. Vasiliki Klonari, an expert in energy system integration at Trade Body Win Europe, also explain why interconnectors are so essential. This is a very strong signal for investors in renewable energy, including so developers of renewable energy, but also investments in, in, in reinforcing, for instance, the manufacturing base in, in, the, in the area, in the connected countries or the wider area, because it shows a long-term political commitment by the respective governments to count on the sector, right? To count on this, on the electricity sector, specifically uh, the integration of, and specifically renewables. And this actually creates an excellent momentum to boost uh, investments for, for renewables. Industry loves interconnectors, of course. I spoke with Ulrich Stridbeck, head of regulatory and public affairs at Danish energy giant Orsted, about what this all means. Offshore wind, particularly, But wind-dependent renewable energy in general, I suppose, will require very large uh, infrastructure investments. Renewable energy is incredibly competitive. It's much cheaper than their fossil uh, alternatives. But on the other hand, it is more variable uh, with the weather. And therefore, you have to have infrastructure to send the energy to the consumer wherever it is. We have to be prepared to build more infrastructure. And this was a very timely and very important step in in that direction. Does this project then send a really strong signal to industry in the market that the only way is up? And these kind of projects show that there is only going to be more offshore wind, onshore wind, solar, and that you can rely on there being enough transmission infrastructure to link these markets together and and to create more market for, for this power. Absolutely. 100% agree. I suppose Viking Link, as far as I remember, was first floated as an idea by very visionary, foresightful people in the two transmission system operators. And 
they had no idea back then where we would be today. So it, it also underscores that if we are not willing to accept and take risk and accept the uncertainty when making these transmission uh, investments, it, you know, failing to do uh, the green transformation will be certain. Uh, so not doing it because you're afraid of the business case will be a self-fulfilling prophecy uh, almost. So incredibly important that visionary decision makers could take this forward, even if it was based, it was in a, in a world of huge uncertainty and that uncertainty will continue. I also asked Ulrich about hybrid interconnectors and when that kind of project will become more ubiquitous. Does more energy generation need to be built first or does extra generation rely on the infrastructure coming first? I'm afraid there could be a chicken and egg. We are hoping for in Ørsted and there is also some very, very important developments uh, suggesting that it is actually pro uh, possible to move the first critically important hybrids forward, despite of all the uncertainty and imperfect market arrangements, very imperfect funding arrangements. There is, a, there is already one existing, it's the Kriegers Flak, connecting Denmark with Germany via an offshore wind farm. There are plans in, uh, in, in the Baltic states. There is another one involving around the Bornholm involving Denmark and Germany and hopefully Poland and Sweden in due course. A few ideas in the North Sea involving Belgium, the Netherlands, the UK, Denmark, uh, as well with uh, Prince Elizabeth Island probably being the most advanced. We do hope that, that these first projects can be funded, can be moved forward. There are seemingly sufficient political backing uh, to, 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 to move them forward. I must say, though, that also these projects, they have met uh, increasing costs, increasing uncertainties, so it's, it's going to be quite tough, unfortunately, to, to, to move these projects forward. In due course, uh, hopefully based on these first experiences, lessons, we, we, we can make it maybe not a default. I think there will still be need for Viking-style point-to-point interconnectors, but at least uh, making uh, hybrid setups more standard. But I am afraid that that will require a new framework for uh, sharing costs, uh, sharing revenues, uh, new market arrangements. Vasilhi explained a little more why hybrid interconnectors really are such a promising infrastructure option. They are actually optimization projects, yeah, because having this kind of infrastructure, so combining electricity interconnectors with renewable energy production reduces the costs for integrating offshore wind. It reduces the environmental impact of the total infrastructure overall. It optimizes space use because, for instance, we are using less cables compared to connecting all these wind farms with point-to-point -point connection. And indeed, we see this as becoming one of the major ways to connect offshore wind energy. 
but I would like to highlight that we will need both types of infrastructure. So we will need offshore wind farms to be connected radially and then have contractual agreements with the respective country whose grid they are connected. But also we need offshore wind farms to be connected with offshore hybrid uh, interconnectors. Uh, so both will be necessary and how much of each we will need at sea basin level will be the outcome of a quite comprehensive process that includes planning of infrastructure, decision making about investments, cost sharing. So it will require a lot of cooperation at sea basin level or even more or larger uh, at European level, even for some elements. Expect to see more interconnector projects announced and inaugurated this year. Whether regulators and policymakers will take those brave funding decisions that Ulrich mentioned will be a crucial element of this. Geopolitics don't make things easier, but the energy sector seems to relish a challenge. So let's see what it comes up with. Many thanks for joining me today. I'll be back tomorrow with more. The jolt is free to air for now, so please do show us some love and share the episodes if you enjoyed listening. Our new app with loads of new features and more of the great content you've come to expect is coming very soon, so watch out for that. Thanks to everyone at Foresight for helping make the jolt possible and shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of the jolt. Thank you.